Hi. So today I have a author here, a um, young author who happens to be my daughter. I don't have any published books. I'm not an author. I'm a writer. I'm not an author at this point. Okay. Um, you've been working on a manuscript for over two years. Is that right? Two and a half years. Yeah. Okay. And what's the title? As of now, it's called Alice Coyos and the Purple Wings, but some publishing companies like to change it. Sometimes editors have suggestions, but um, that's what it's called as of now and will probably be called something similar upon publication. All right. So why does the world need this story right now? <laughs> that's like a... Um, wow. Why does the world need this story right now? Um, well, it doesn't because I'm not done with it right now. Um, but in general, like in this time, um, I don't know. Okay, fair. What about this story kept you compelled to continue writing it? Um, it just gripped me, I guess, uh, you know, I wrote the prologue two and a half years ago at, like, 10 p.m. I had my my notebook, like, my spiral notebook and my pen, and I started out with this writing prompt, you know, it was a dark and stormy night, like, pretty classic, and I just, this, like, image just kind of came to my head of this lighthouse, it's on the beach, and it just... It flowed very naturally. There was, like, you know, the storm. And then also I wrote in a way I had never written before. As in, I was careful about every single word that I wrote. Now, this was two pages that I ended up with that um, ended up being the prologue of the book. But it took me, like, an hour because I was choosing every word very carefully because I had a very clear image in my mind and I wanted to communicate it as true to my mind as possible. And when I finished it, I realized that I had something special and um, I guess it's okay to spoil it because it's just the prologue. It's not <laughs> like, it's the first thing you're going to read. Um, you know, in the end, there's this baby girl that's found. So I'm not going to go too much into how and why, but, um, I became very curious what happened to her and the lighthouse keeper that saved her, and I realized that this was more than just a little fun short story prompt, so I continued writing it, and I got to a point where I think I stopped writing, right, as when things get interesting, and I realized I need to make a game plan. This is gonna, there's magical worlds involved. And before going into that, I had to write it all out. But that still wasn't the point when the gri the story gripped me so much that I couldn't let go of it. Um, I think that wasn't it. Uh, it was actually later as I was writing, I actually had written a little bit of an ending that that's not in the final draft at all. <laughs> um, just kind of feeling out the story and I guess the vibe of like how I wanted the characters to interact with each other, which is really important. Get to know your characters. Um, but what 
kind of it when it grabbed me and didn't let go was this scene that was off the cuff. I hadn't planned it at all. I was writing and it, you know, I maybe I sensed a lack of tension or that it needed an extra oomph, like, you know, magic, interesting, high fantasy, like that's really interesting, but there has to be some sort of like there needs to be more motion forward. There needs to be more intrigue. Like the story starts out intriguing, but when there's an answer, when you answer the questions that you pose, as soon as that happens or slightly before it, you need to make create more questions or else it's going to get boring. So I essentially, you know, made this question, what if you have a fairy that can't fly? And my book is about fairies and, you know, um, and what if there's this like thing or this being inside of you that wants to control you kind of like possession, um, but not quite. It's not, it's, it's none of that doesn't come with all the biblical context and, and religious stuff. It's more like almost like you're um, like inhabited by this other thing. And what do you do when, you know, you don't know how you don't know it can't be removed or you don't know yet at that point if there's any possibility of that. Like, how do you go on with your life, especially if it's in a culture that's taboo and and things that you can't express? So that whole idea kind of formed and in it ha- had the enough complexity to make a whole book. So that's when I really latched onto it and realized, you know, if I stopped writing this, I would be like, it would be something that I would regret forever. Because, you know, even if you stop writing and come back to something later, you're not going to be in the same headspace as you were when you first started writing it. So it's important to go now. And of course, I have written it for two and a half years. So I have changed throughout. But I think I actually understand the subject more. And because I have the old writing, I can refer to it and um, realize the essence of it and make it better. So I I guess that's a really long answer. Um, But yeah, it didn't come all at once. Well, I think that's a very good answer. And it does reflect that it took you two and a half years so far. And I like this idea of the story idea that you can't let go of. I mean, I read in this book of writing advice that uh, <clears throat> if if you can't let go of the idea, there's definitely a reason why. Then you're compelled to continue with it. And one thing that you said what kind of was a good segue into my next question. You said you wrote one scene off the cuff. And I was going to ask you how much research and pre-planning was there versus things that just kind of blossomed from your own imagination? Well, I think it's really good to have a combination of both because, you know, if you plan something and you have to stick to it, it becomes boring. You're like, I already know what's going to happen. Why am I still writing this? Of course, you don't know every nuance, every single sentence, but, you know, if you spoil it for yourself, it's like, okay, I don't care anymore, (laughs) you know? And, you know, how true is that? I don't know. It, it depends on each person, I think. But, you know, um, 
like I said, when I first realized that there was going to be a whole magic world and stuff, I stopped writing immediately and basically created an encyclopedia of phrases they use, different socioeconomic classes, you know, culture. I mean, definitely like the cultural iceberg, if you've ever heard of that. It's like the tip. What's above water is what you can see. It's kind of the basic stuff like language, food, dance, those things. And then below is way bigger than it appears. And there's all these subtle things like mannerisms and and um, perceptions of gender and things that are not so obvious that you can't pick up in a tourist trip to that place. You have to grow up in it. You have to you know, live there for an extended period of time. So I really looked at that when creating the foundations for basically making up a whole culture or a whole world um, because there's different cultures within the world. So, you know, um, and so that stuff is definitely planned. You have to be consistent with that. Um, Some of it comes naturally. If you feel like, you know, I want... I want to make stuff varied. Um, You know, it's good to give yourself some leeway to make what you want of it. Because like I said, you know, the part that made me keep going, uh, it wasn't planned at all. It was just, you know, I just wrote when it happens. But on the other hand, there's plenty of scenes that I've just wrote and I deleted later because it was pointless. It gave me writer's block later because that scene had kind of, like stopped other possibilities so I guess that's you have to know like is this you have to kind of develop that instinct of is this something that really helps the story or is this like you know garbage I mean don't never throw away anything you write but just you have to take it out of the story to continue with it you know speaking of um the instinct for what to delete, even though you wrote it and you liked it at some point, but it's limiting your options going forward and developing that instinct. I know that you had a mentor, and I'm wondering if she assisted you in that process and if you could speak to what advice she gave you that might be applicable to other young writers. Um. Yeah, she was the one that said, don't delete anything you write, and that's something definitely that I've regretted because before this, I, you know, in middle school, I wrote like this whole, I mean, it was like a mini series, you know, each little book got longer and I only, I think I only have like one of the books now or something like that, of course. Um, and I remember what happens, you know, I remember like reading back at it and just cringing because of like some of the ridiculous things that happened, like weird, just like plot holes and just like, you know, but that doesn't mean that you should delete it because, it, you know, you can still be inspired by other things. Um, as for the instinct on whether something should be kept or deleted, I I didn't really learn that from anyone except probably reading other authors and realizing what makes a good story. Because when it comes to the mentorships, um, you know, I was only getting critiqued on parts of the story, um, like a few pages at a time because it was uh, the teen writers group at the Auburn Public Library. So it's not something that's covered there. It's not like you have 50 pages. I mean, there's just not that time to do that for everyone, or 
it's not fair if only one person, you know, brings that in. So you're looking at developing that yourself. And uh, yeah, but that's something that that's pretty individualistic in that way. Okay, may I ask, and I hope this won't be a spoiler alert, because I know there was a scene that you put in and took out, I think more than once, about a food fight. Is that still there? Um, <laughs> uh, no, I don't think so, but because I think I'm going to put it in the second book instead, because it makes sense. That's another thing. Like, with scenes, another reason why to never delete them is you don't know when you're going to use them again. Um, but, right, you know, honestly, yeah, I, either I can't remember and it is, or I just took it out to be in the second book. <laughs> just a little off topic. Have you ever been involved in a real food fight? Um, <laughs> uh, not like the kind where your clothes and hair is ruined um, uh, no, I would say no. Not, not like the movie kind. Uh, you know, no. I, but I think there's been a point where, like, cafeteria food at school is so disgusting that you're not really treating it like food. And that's a sort of food fight-esque, um, that's my experience of, um, like, barcode burritos, which is, like, you know, the literal skin of the burrito or tortilla has, like, a barcode on it <laughs> and like chunky chocolate milk and it's just gross uh, so yeah i don't know uh, okay okay all right um so if they really want to hear the food fight they have to stick around for the second book which i don't think will be a problem this book is a page turner i know um at one point i had access to reading it on google docs and then the access was revoked and I woke up this one morning at 6 a.m. and I thought, I don't want to make noise. You know, I don't want to wake up the whole family. What's something quiet I can do? And I thought, oh, I'm going to read this story. And it wasn't there. My access had been revoked. And uh, Aubrey's joking like I'm, you know, addicted to the story. And I am. It's You just have to know what's going to happen next. So. I'm so sorry. I, I didn't know you were going to wake up early and try to read it. But, it, you know... Okay, that kind of leads into something else, is that don't, like, I I wanted to share it, but also I revoked it because also, I don't, I don't know, it's just I don't want people having to read a bunch of different versions, especially if, like, I'm very perfectionistic when it comes to writing, and there's a point where, you know, that can become too much, and you have to know what, when to stop, and... You know, it can be great for editing, not so great for when you're actively writing. And that was a real problem for me, actually, um, because I, uh, okay, so I had about 150 pages written. And I, every time I opened the document, I would have to scroll through everything I had already written. It's all nice on your word processor and you can see every little imperfection, every little typo or Ugh, that adverb doesn't need to be there. Those nasty adverbs cropping up everywhere. Um, and it just became so much that I was like, OK, the only way that I'm going to get this done, I think this was like the second draft. I already had a first draft. The ending was a big mess, like so many loose ends um, kind of rushed because I was just like, ah, this needs to end. I'm tired of working on it. Um, so I, 
I got, you know, paper and just started, I finished the thing by hand because, and I, I write in cursive. So it makes it hard to go back and read your stuff, especially if it's in cursive. So I didn't have that problem and I was able to just go right through it. Um, you know, if I could have gone back and done that from the beginning though, you know, I've thought about it and I would say no, because I kind of going back is useful in the beginning to give you a sense of direction and sometimes you don't always know where your story's going. But at that point, I did. And the only thing that was stopping me was myself. So that's when I knew. And I actually bought on Amazon like this old timey ancient like looking paper and a quill. And that's what I wrote with. Unless I was in public. Then I used a pen. Um, but, um, you know, like at cafes and things. Um, but yeah, I mean... It, it just felt like, because that's kind of the stuff that they would use, like, in the fairy world to write. So I guess it's almost like method writing, like how actors do method acting. That is interesting. I did notice uh, the quill and the old paper and think it sort of lent itself to getting into the spirit and the vibe of being in the olden days. Um, Yeah, and I just wanted to add, so in the fairy world they write at least at school um with these thing called nib rings and it's like the the tip of a quill if it was like attached to like a ring that goes around the tip of your finger and it almost reminds me of like nails kind of and I wouldn't have like had that idea unless I actually got a quill and figured out how it worked because I was always like Oh, quills are so cool but I was like how does the ink stay in there and there's like a little hole where it dips into and like gravity pretty much holds it in and you have to be careful not to get too much or else you'll get a bunch of ink splatters like I have a ton of them on the first few pages that I was working on so like those things you know they say write what you know but and and then there's also no other advice now that's like write what you don't know so that you can like explore that but it's it's kind of a combination of both because you know, once I had the quill, that's something I know now. And then I can know it gives me more ideas. But also, you know, obviously I've never been into like a magical world. So I don't know anything about that except from what I've fabricated. That's awesome. Uh, I remember a scene about a boat where I was asked a couple questions about parts of the boat uh, my dad used to have a sailboat, and we, we even discussed potential ways someone would get hurt on a boat in a storm. And I don't think necessarily you went with what I said, but what you did. did you I said the boom. Uh, oh, that's well, that's the... because. Well, that's because it wasn't a sailboat. I mean, well, it just. It wasn't quite like what I was looking for. That's fine. I think it is good to be able to say. What do you know about this? But also not let somebody hijack your story because other people can get very excited along the way. I That's part of why I don't usually discuss stories in process because people will be like, oh, I know what should happen. And uh, anyway, yeah, there was a lot of terminology about boats, a lot of nautical. That I didn't end up using because nautical terms are not in the vernacular. Um I, I guess I just wanted to make sure that everything I had checked out because, like I said, even though I spent a long time, like, in the prologue, this is the prologue we're talking about, um, and I think later on there's a ship, too. So a little bit of that. Um, 
you know, it's good to know the terms, but actually implementing them is not something I would do unless you're taught, you know, it's going to be long standing. Your character is like a sailor, you know, you have to think about like people, you know, that are not sailors that are like the age group. That That's another thing. Age group like you're targeting towards. Of course, I think a good book should be able to be enjoyed by most everyone. Um, But yeah, keeping in mind like the main target audience. Along those lines, I did notice there's quite a bit of humor, at least in the dialogue that I read, and I couldn't help but compare and contrast that to other books that I would consider sort of in the same genre, and I was wondering if you would speak to writing dialogue or your feeling about putting humor in writers for this age group. Okay, so this actually brings up a really interesting point, is that I noticed that when I write write it longhand, I would be like, "Ha, oh, that's so funny." And later when I was typing it up, I wouldn't I wouldn't even like laugh. I wouldn't even exhale loudly. I was just like, "Yeah, this is not that what I thought it was." And what's what's so funny is because sometimes I'll be reading a book and I can like tell that the author tried to make a joke, but I just I'm just like, eh, "That was kind of cringy." Like, I don't know. <laughs> it's just as a teenager, you read especially like a writer too. Sometimes it's hard to break from that writer point of view, especially if you're in editing mode and you pick up a book, you're like, I want to relax. And you're like, did they need that word in that paragraph? Like you start like looking at them. (laughs) And, um, and so, um, God, what was the question? (laughs) Why is it important to be funny? And that was also like your target age group and why you're not going to use a ton of nautical terms Mm because a 12 or 13 year old may or may not probably wouldn't know a bunch of nautical terms. Yeah, um, well, because there's so much, okay, so just for some context, this is like a fantasy thriller, um, middle grade-ish, young adult-ish kind of book, and some depressing things happen in this book. Everything, when it seems to be getting a little better, it goes wrong, and if there was no humor, that would suck. Like, there needs to be something that makes you laugh. And and I wanted it to be, like, laugh out loud. Obviously, everyone has a slightly different sense of humor. Like, as I've slowly started giving it to different people, people will laugh at different things. And I think that's so interesting. Um, because sometimes I just have something that's a bit, I don't know, like, witty. Or maybe even I'm not intending for it to be funny. It's just, like, kind of quirky. Like, the way I describe things. Um... Like, so the main character, Alice, has aquaphobia, a fear of water, and I'm describing that, you know, it's the worst phobia to have in Washington State, the rainiest and wettest state in the United States. And um, and my grandma thought that was funny, but I wasn't intending for it to be funny. It was just like, oh, geez, like, that sucks. And also, I describe this house as, like, a big block of butter. And she thought that was kind of funny, too. So it's like just the way of describing things can be funny. Um, And uh, yeah, it's just but okay, back to like the writing at longhand and not finding it funny. So when I'm looking at the computer, I can change it. Like I change the responses or the dialogue that's funny a few times. And then the more I do that, it just becomes funnier and funnier until it's 3 a.m. And I'm laughing so hard I can't breathe. And so that's the final one. I'm like, yes, keep that, you know. (laughs) Wow, that's a pretty high standard, Uh, which 
leads to my question of, I'm sure you didn't log how many hours you put into this, but I'm sure there were sacrifices that were made. Did it feel like a sacrifice all the time that you put into writing this? Um, there have been times, there have been a few times where I wanted to scream and run away and never write another word of this freaking story again. Um, one thing that I say is don't edit while you write until you finish the whole thing. That was something that everybody told me, and I mean everybody as in writing advice websites, and my mentor, Susan Landgraf, the the leader of the Auburn Teen Public Libraries group, and I was like, mm, but what if I didn't? And <laughs> it didn't turn out very good, and I ended up having like 11 different versions of the story. I printed them all out, so, you know, and there's like varies from like 25 pages each of maybe just this one scene was different to like 100 pages so that's a lot of ink and time and spreading it all out on my floor and trying to figure out like okay what if I just created a draft with everything that I took out and like just put it all back in and then cut it out later um that takes a lot of time it was very frustrating another time was when I was like changing the setting of like the beginning part I was in the final draft it takes place in the countryside but at that time I don't know why I I think at one point there was um I just wanted to make it suburbs for some reason uh for some like it kind of made sense to me but you know not for the reasons that were good you know that's another part of that instinct thing um and so you know, it was really frustrating and then eventually just changing it back and being like, ah, you, it was better before. So yeah, those times can be really frustrating. Um, so that, and those things take a lot of time. Writing takes a lot of time and I don't view it as a sacrifice. I think the only thing is that, um, you know, I have like little sisters, if they're, you know, like play with me or like do this, do that with me, and stuff like I, I do a lot of stuff with them but you know I also have to draw a line and sometimes I'm trying to write and we're like you know let's go to a restaurant let's go to the park you know let's go out and I'm like uh, no I'm gonna write like you have to be able to say that like you have to because the whole entire world is going to battle against you to try to take away your time and you have to persist and do it anyway you have to say no I'm gonna write and you're not gonna tell you're not no like you just stop distracting me and you know like it takes a lot of time but you know if you really want to make a book you that's a commitment it's not like a short story or a poem that you can finish in like a week or two and be like oh it's so cute gold star look at me like a book is like grueling and it's part of the fun because you get so like into this world like that's that's the good and the bad part of it and, you know, some people don't realize that. So you just have to put your foot down and don't make excuses about not having time to write. That's on you. Nobody else. All right. I did notice that you're watching hardly any TV, which has been a role reversal because I started watching TV more during the pandemic. And before that, I hardly did. And now um, it's hard to get you to watch TV, but we, we do a little bit. Anyway, my next question, which I just thought of. One thing about the TV thing is Stephen King said that TV is like 
the bane of writers. And I took that personally. But I will admit, I did binge watch Ginny and Georgia on Netflix. Um, And we're not even going to talk about that train wreck of a show. But, you know, I do like Ameri- like teen dramas. Like, I know they're bad, but it's like, it's like, it's kind of awful. Like, car crashes are awful, right? But if it's happening right in front of you, you can't look away. And that's exactly what teen dramas are for me. There are definitely shows for adults that are the same way as well. And for me, any of these crime-solving shows or, you know, like the show Medium, which I love, although it gets very too intense in uh, season four. They just keep upping the ante to where it's like, no. Okay. Anyway, I was going to ask you about diversity in your show. And before we get into that question, I wanted to say I was an early... I apologize. It's such a it's such a visually um it makes so many images in my mind that I feel like it's a show, but it's a book. Um so I was going to teacher college when Aubrey was a baby. I really only had one class under my belt when she was born and then I started again when she was 4 months old and finished when she was 5 and it's a double major so also early childhood so of course I had to try all the neat ideas and there was a lot about inclusiveness and multicultural and of course I tried all these ideas and now I noticed that I'm going to um, give myself credit for you wanting to be inclusive in your story which sorry I may or may not but I want to know about inclusivity in your story um I'm giving myself the credit for that not you um because it's not easy because no matter how much you know oh you know like you have inclusivity incorporated like the majority has always been like white in media like for me growing up um and it becomes like the base and what I mean by that is like okay if someone in the book describes a character and they fail to mention their skin color what color of skin do you think they're going to have Probably white. Yeah, and why is that? Because of the, you know, for most of the Western world, all the writers have been white. So that's like their um, default. That's the word I'm looking for. And to eliminate that um, by being inclusive, you just have to mention that when you're describing things like hair color, things, you know, just mention the color of skin. And that can seem like it gets, like, oh, too much. But if you just think of different ways to describe it, And I'm not talking about describing it as food because never do that. (laughs) Like if you're talking about inclusivity, um, especially if it's a person of color and you're going to be like coffee skin or caramel skin, it's like you're comparing them to a commodity and that's kind of colonialism. And it's something that I, you know, I've read in books and it never struck me as like, oh, it didn't. But I was reading about it because, you know, if you're going to be inclusive, don't rely on stereotypes like do it the right way and so I was reading about it even though I am half Latina half white I think just because you're a person of color yourself doesn't mean that you can you know you don't make the same grievous errors as other people so reading it and I realized that and it's like oh my god that's so true like I didn't think about it because I was just reading and it's only like one word and you're in this story like okay whatever but looking back I'm like oh my god like that's not okay (laughs) You know? So is it your hope that more people will see themselves in this story? Um, yeah. I mean, I remember reading and looking... Okay, Rick Riordan, right? 
Lightning Thief, Percy Jackson. It was like, you know, everyone liked Harry Potter or Percy Jackson or probably both. But like, it's, you know, fandoms compete. You have to choose. And, um, you know, looking for like a character like me, like, you know, Annabeth is like curly hair. I'm like, okay, I have curly hair, but it's like blonde. And like, okay, now I'm, you know, and she's like, like blue eyes, I think. Great. No, blue. Great. I don't know. I'm not a true fan, but, um, and like, I was just like, okay. And then, like, I think the closest I ever got was Hazel in the, like, follow-up series. And she's, like, I think she's, like, either mixed or black. I don't, I don't remember. And then, you know, I was just like, okay, but, you know, I'm, there's really, like, like, Leo, maybe? Like, I was, like, you know, I was looking for something like me, and it just never really happened, and so what better way to find yourself in a work of fiction than to make it yourself? Okay. Uh, I like that. I remember when you were developing the description for your character and you were even getting some feedback at the teen writers group on that. And it became a little bit of a question of how exactly to describe your main character. And I don't know if you want to talk about that or not. Yeah, um, I think at first, in the book, Alice is ethnically ambiguous. I am not. Um, but since Alice was orphaned, you know, how is she gonna know? Like, there's no way. Um, so she's ethnically ambiguous. And it everyone seems to kind of, like, I mean, in the beginning, it's something that people, like, you're like, what? Like, what are you? Like, it's like a question or something. And that's always bothered me. Like, what are you? Like, no, I don't think so, you know? Um, and so, you know, before that, I actually had her as an ethnicity that was, like, not mine. And, you know, I was just like, oh, yeah, let's be inclusive and stuff. And then, you know, at the writer's group, it's kind of like, you know, that's not really... I mean, it was said in a very nice way, but it's kind of like, well, that's not your perspective to write and even though you know we think we're being inclusive by like oh let's write from the point of view of a native american character or a black character it's like you're not i mean unless you are but you're not like if you're you know something else like a different uh ethnicity and you're gonna write if it's like you're switching points of views between characters in one book then i would say it's okay because you know you're doing that but if it's like one main character and um, generally, like, just write your perspective, and I think that's what what's special, too. Like, embrace yourself and write from your characters, and then um, write yourself into your characters, and then, um, you know, not, like, all of yourself, because you want, you know, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, so, um, but if you're worried about inclusivity and diversity, you know, read books by authors of color or different like different ethnicities too um and it doesn't have to be like oh you know I'm gonna read a Korean author and okay I need to read like a black author like you know just just be on the lookout for like it doesn't have to be because they are you know what they are it's just um they are who they are uh, it's like just uh if you hear about something that's interesting to you and it happens to be by a person of color you know Maybe put in that extra effort to get it, you know, and read it and just um, just be aware of that you could be in a bubble, you know? Okay. Yeah. Thank you. I do think it's possible. 
uh, to be in a bubble and not realize it. And uh, it does seem like there's an extra effort for more books, not just featuring, but actually by people of color. And there's been some criticism in recent years of books that have a person of color as a main character that were not written by somebody from that that ethnicity or culture. Yeah, because it takes books that that are written by them off the shelves. And um and that's kind of the argument that I've heard. And um while at the t- same time I kind of think like maybe not necessarily you know, maybe if they have to like choose like bookstores have to, I I'm not really quite sure that's an argument I've heard. But for me it's kind of like you know, it's not you and you know your characters aren't all of you you know like you have boy characters and girl characters and and you don't have you you know different ages and stuff but especially race is a sensitive thing yeah uh sorry to switch the subject a little bit i was thinking about the wide age group that i that i feel like could read the story i think there's adult fans including myself (laughs) and i know as there are some sort of scary parts which you were careful not to make them too scary, but they they're pretty still still pretty scary. Mm-hmm. What do you think is the minimum age to read this book without getting like nightmares? <laughs> you know, I don't you know, hmm, what I I've never gotten like nightmares from a book, I don't think. Um hmm. I was like an early reader when I was in 3rd grade. I was like at a 7th grade reading level. So and that's kind of where I would put this book at. But I don't know. But I probably, you know, like kind of using myself as a reference, I guess, because I'm really the first one who's read it. But, uh, or I'm writing it, you know. Um, it kind of depends on the maturity of the kid. Or, you know, if if it's in their reading level and they want to read it, I think it's fine, you know. But it's like, I know that... Um, I think it was J.K. Rowling who she like didn't let her kids read it until they were like of a certain age and everyone else in the class had read it and like J.K. Rowling's literally your mom and you haven't read her book like wow <laughs> um but that was her choice maybe things would change if I had kids <laughs> and, and but at this point I'm like if you can you know you want to read it go ahead I don't care okay this this <laughs> I would like to share a really brief funny story about a little bit about what you said, but if you don't want me to, I won't. I don't even know what you're talking about. Okay, well, there was a book featured on the Oprah Book Club called A Million Little Pieces, which it later turned out that some of that was oh. fabricated, even though it was supposedly a memoir. And it, the cover of the book had all these sprinkles, like cake sprinkles. I know this story, but um, I don't think it's really on topic. Okay, all right. Different, completely different type of story, but it was sort of... My fault for putting it down I low. I couldn't really understand it. I was just reading it to make you think that I could, to be, like, mature and stuff, you know? I think that the first part of the book was describing <clears throat> somebody who was in quite bad shape, and you were... That sounds like my book. <laughs> um. Okay, yeah, maybe there should be an age group, but that's for parents to decide, not me. <laughs> okay, so... If you have, like, an eight-year-old who wants to read the book, you might want to reread it. Is that fair to say? Or pre-read it? Um, what? 
If a parent has a young child who is capable of reading at the level and wants to read the book, should they read it first? Um, if they think they need to, then yes. I mean, look, I'm not, I don't know, okay? It's not my choice. Okay. Well, there's a lot of action on TV. Honestly, I've been surprised how scary some episodes of My Little Pony can be. Well, there's this weird dragon hybrid creature. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, is there a sequel? <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yes. Absolutely. It was written as intended to be part of a series, which is why it's taken so freaking long. Because, you know, it's going to be part of a series. And that is something you definitely need to keep in mind if you're writing a book. Because... Look, I've read a book where, okay, I'm not going to name names. I'm not about that. But let me just say, okay, I think it's like a trilogy or no, four books. The first book, the best friend of the main character is described as petite. In the fourth book, she's described in the beginning as tall and then ends up being, um, there's a reason for that. And I'm, it sounds weird that I'm not going to say it, but I just don't want to call anyone out. Um, just be consistent. And so, you know, but that made me think that the first book wasn't intended as having sequels. And if so, it wasn't quite as planned out. And it wasn't just the tall, short thing. Like, that's a little thing. But also, it's your own book, so you should know. But um, if, you know, there was other things that were, like, kind of random, like, out of the blue. Like, this new plot thing, and it was, like, kind of like, okay, you're running out of story, and you're just making stuff. Almost like, um you know, just to putter on just a little bit more. And it, it should, I don't want it to feel like that at all. I want it to be like gripping planned out like a chain, like each question and answer is like a chain that goes on like a link and it makes it together. It's even stronger. You know, it shouldn't be separate. It needs to be kind of infused all together. And that's important. So Yes, there is a sequel, and I think that if anyone would plan to do a sequel with their own books, definitely know that in advance or think about that when you're writing the first book. All right. I appreciate all the tips you've given for young writers as, um, as we've been answering these questions. I know that we've been talking for a little while now. And is there anything else I didn't ask you that you would like to say before we end this? Um, we can keep going. I really don't care. <laughs> I don't care at all. Okay. Um, well, if you're talking about advice for aspiring writers, um, other than write, because that's kind of obvious, um, you know, write and read. That's one thing. Um, make time. Oh, maybe there isn't really anything that I haven't said. Or I mean, there's nothing I can really like think of right now. So. Well, there is one question that I didn't ask you. Which is, why are stories important? Um, come on. Like, we all know stories are important. Um, because they are a reflection of life. And we, we can learn stuff. Sometimes we can learn compassion through stories. And we get to have an intimate perspective into someone else that we maybe would have never have talked to throughout our entire life, never have known. And in a way, um, characters become even more real than people. As more people know characters, then sometimes other 
people. And what I mean is, like, more people know of them than, like, your average Joe. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, like, it's about compassion and different experiences. And I think you can learn life lessons through stories. Um, not entirely, you know. You can't just live out of books. That's something that that's important that I think a lot of writers and readers maybe should hear, you know, like have a life too outside of reading. Um, unless you really need an escape, then by all means, live in books. Go, <laughs> But, you know, if you can, get out a little bit. Like, writing comes from experiences and stuff. And that's exactly why stories are important. Because even though they're fiction, sometimes they're truer than the truth. Wow. That's, uh... That's really well said. I, I've i wondered if books, along with Hollywood, maybe as much or more so, help shape the moral collective consciousness. And I liked what you said about compassion. I like to think the world is becoming a more compassionate place. And um, do you have hopes for your book as far as helping people to be more compassionate? Um, you know, I don't like to put too many expectations on things that I can't control. If someone finds it helpful, you know, I'm really glad. But, you know, I all I hope is that, you know, at least one person will like it. It'll make their day. And, you know, they'll make some new friends in these characters. Oh, I love that, and I love the fact that also two people who've read the same book suddenly have something to have a really good discussion about. Mm, yeah, I remember, you know, talking with my friends, and, like, we all, you know, really like Percy Jackson. Um, Harry Potter, like, the big craze was, like, kind of over by then, but we, like, obviously, like, we all would still write it. So, yeah, there was, like, so many things about, oh, what house are you in? What cabin are you in? Like... Things like that that's fun. Like, you kind of want to see yourself in those. I mean, that was a real thing. Like, with Divergent in the, in the like, factions, too. It was kind of a Hunger Games knockoff, you know? With, like, it kind of got popular because of the Hunger Games. So there's all these, like, dystopia things. And, and um, like, what district are you in, right? With Hunger Games. So everyone wants to, like, you know, put themselves in a faction or kind of, like, discover more about themselves through a book. Okay, this is ringing some bells about Harry Potter uh, and how more than one kid that I had heard of thought that they might have some magical abilities after having read Harry Potter. And I can just, just anticipate like, uh, people <laughs> um, putting the goldfish down the toilet after watching Nemo. Oh, let's <laughs> let's not think about that too much. Let's hope that they really got free from doing that and wound up in the ocean. Mm-hmm. But as I have read at least parts of your book and different versions of it, I've thought if I were like 11, I would definitely be thinking, am I magical or do I know someone who's magical? And have you anticipated that at all? Uh, no, I've just been really focused on writing. I don't know. I think what would be kind of cool is like, you know, they have wings, you know, most of them do. Most of the fairies do. Some don't, and that's kind of interesting, but I'm not going to get into that right now. But it's like, what color would your wings be? And um, even though I don't really talk about it in a book, I mean, I might in future books, but it it's kind of a reflection on their being. So um, butterflies are representations of the soul. 
in Greek and Roman? Greek? I don't know. They're, they're so close, it's hard to discern sometimes. Um, I think it was in Roman mythology. So thinking about that is, like, one of the strong reasons why wings are so essential and important in in the book. Um because it's a reflection of the soul and the color is definitely part of that. So I think I would imagine people trying to guess or say what color of wings they would have. Wow, that would be a lot of fun. I don't want to think I would have purple wings, even though that's my favorite color and I shouldn't say any more or I'll spoil the book. <laughs> um, but I do have to, I have to try to defend purple as a color, although purple wings would not be my first choice. Okay, so I think that's about it. Thank you very much for your time. Um, it was a pleasure. Okay, all right. So that's it. I hope you all get hooked and have to read this book yet. Do you want to say the title one more time? Alice Koyos and the Purple Wings. Okay, have a good evening. <laughs>